1: Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone. The Bastards are back for this Tuesday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a Four-game set with the Minnesota Twins splitting the series two games to two. They are currently tied for second place with the New York Yankees. Both teams just one game back of the first place Toronto Blue Jays. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore boston joining us tonight from the city of providence rhode island charlie smith how are you charlie
0: hey man it's uh it's been a weird day been dealing with a headache all day so uh just finally starting to get back with it
1: yeah it's uh it was a rainy day here uh in in the in the deep South and uh, yeah, so not a good day, not a good day for the Red Sox in the, in the series finale as well. Also joining us from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Joe Goddard, Joe. How you doing gentlemen? Uh, I was expecting more than a two, two split.
2: Not going to lie. I love 11 a.m. Baseball here on, on Patriots day. <sighs> Excited to watch the baseball at work ruin my day instead of making my day. So uh, I've got some negative thoughts that I'm going to be bringing to this episode. So that disclaimer does apply. If you are a first-time listener, get used to it.
1: Some feelings might get hurt on uh, some of the takes later on, but I promise you there will be some good takes. Also, Job, I saw you rocking the Bastards of Boston T-shirt. I wore that to Camden Yards uh,
2: this past weekend against the Yankees. got plenty of compliments from Orioles fans uh, and Red Sox fans alike who just hate the New York Yankees. So if any of you are out there listening, very nice to meet you this weekend. And uh, hopefully you can find some of those shirts and rock some of those soon at a ballpark near you.
1: Yeah, we hope to be finally launching the uh, T-shirts this week. Um, Just some glitches with the... Um, technical side of the of the sales and shipping part of it that we're uh, trying to work out, but those will uh, be up for sale pretty quick. So uh, Red Sox did uh, manage a split with the twins. could have won the series today had they uh, been able to close it up. but on Friday, uh, Red Sox dropped that one eight to four. They won on Saturday, four to nothing, an eight to one win on Sunday, and then today in the finale, dropped that one, eight to three. So we are uh, currently five and five, right at five hundred. Uh, we've got the Blue Jays coming up next. We'll get into that series uh, in the final segment. So the main format for this show will be the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we're going to get into that right now. So starting with the good, Charlie, who do you have?
0: So for uh, the good, I had to go with Rafi Devers. So for me, um, got a hit in every single ball game. Had a, had a home run in the first one as well. Um, hit over 350 for the series. Only one strikeout. He's only had one strikeout in the last four or five games, which is really nice to see. Uh, from your future face of the Boston Red Sox if he's not already considered the face. Uh, So he had a homer, two RBIs, three runs scored. Nice and easy. That was my good guy right there.
2: Well, you can't say much more than that. I know he has a 14-game hitting streak going back to last season. I don't count that when he passes DiMaggio for 56. We're not counting last season's games, all right? Uh, What I do want everyone to know is that Rafi Devers is not swinging and missing in the strike zone which is is great to see. And he took a ball in game two, which I realized was a loss. And we'll talk about that game a little bit more as we get into the show here. He took a ball that was at his ankles and he wrapped it around the pesky pole to to claw us back into the game two and almost got us a win in in that loss on, uh, I believe, Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. It was really refreshing to watch Rafi hit this week. It was equally refreshing to watch him pick the ball at third base. He made two plays today uh, on marathon day that were fantastic, especially on the th- the third inning. Uh, he went to his left, picked the ball, threw it to first for the third out in the inning. He beat the runner by three steps because the runner thought he had a single. Uh, there's maybe a, a 50% chance that a good third baseman makes that play there's maybe a 10% chance that last year's Rafi Devers makes that play. More often than not, he probably flashes some leather, gets leather on that ball, and it dribbles into left field for a single.
1: One of my favorite plays of the series for Devers was actually a defensive play. Uh, Twins lefty Trevor Larnick was uh, in the batter's box, and Devers was playing around shortstop because of the uh, shift that they had. And he hit a blooper, uh, Trevor Larnick did, out to kind of almost mid-center field. And Devers, from the shortstop position, ran down that fly ball in mid-center and made kind of an over-the-shoulder catch. I mean... In no man's land. I in exactly no man's land. Talking about. He went a long way to get that. Uh, got to it before Kike did. And... Devers is coming up with some defense this year, so he's he's definitely helping the uh, team on on in every aspect of the game. Uh, also, hitting uh, 349 right now, so I'm not going to talk about that prestigious end of the season award, but this this could be his his closest uh, run yet to that. So. Uh, Definitely uh, definitely a good one. Job. who do you have?
2: Well, I'm going to go with uh, no surprises. Michael Walker. I'm now the president of the Michael Walker fan club. I, I have been since we signed him. That was an interesting episode with the two of you where I was laughed at consistently for talking about how Michael Walker could be a good piece for this team. And so far, Michael Walker, he went five innings, allowed one hit, two walks, five strikeouts uh, in this game. And on the season, he's got an 096 ERA. His changeup has looked dynamic. It's looked as good as it did when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals and pitching against us in the World Series all those years ago. And I really think they might have unlocked something with his delivery. Because he's being efficient. He's quick to the plate. He's not doubting his stuff. And he's attacking hitters with his best pitch. He's making big league hitters look foolish. And he's by no means a Cy Young candidate coming into the season.
1: I hated the Michael Walker signing. Oh, I know you did. Uh, not quite as bad as the Garrett Richards signing, but it was the first signing of the winter. It was $8 million, which I think is significant. Like when you're committing 8000000 you million, million, you're, you're saying you think this player is going to be a contributor for the Red Sox, and there was nothing to suggest that he would. Just a good six-week run. Uh, towards the end of the season with a revamped change-up. But he's giving you middle-of-the-rotation stuff right now. And I hope it continues. I hope, w- like what you were saying, Job, I hope they figured something out with him. So we'll, uh, we'll see. I, he's got my curiosity. So... For the good category for me, I have to go with Alex Verdugo. He did have a couple of defensive blips in the first game, but his bat has just been one of the better ones in the Red Sox lineup. He was five for 13 over the series, hit a home run in games one and two of the series. One of them was, um, let's see, it was a 437-footer, so wasn't a cheapie. No doubt. Yeah, to straightaway center, 108 miles an hour off the bat, and really showing some pop. And very impressively, no strikeouts in the entire series. Did not strike out one time. So this is a guy who's owning uh, the... You know, the strike zone at the plate. He's just putting together some really good at-bats. I also want to note that his home run came off of Sonny Gray. So this could be my good part, too, because I get to bash Sonny Gray, who has a ERA over six uh, versus the Red Sox. And at Fenway Park specifically... Has an 8.02 ERA. So the Red Sox continue to Ouch. tattoo this guy. Just an absolute house of horrors for, <laughs> for Sonny Gray. But Alex Verdugo made him pay. And he left the game in the... Um, after, I think it was during the second inning. But, uh, yeah. Or he had two full innings pitched. So he, he might have left during the third inning. But still, not a, not a good one for, for Sonny Gray. Any thoughts? On well, I was him? happy
0: to see him. I was super happy to see Verdugo do what he did. Uh, we saw Verdugo in the first and third series, both just lighted it up like a Christmas tree. It just didn't seem like he was doing any wrong. It was great to see. Uh, I believe this was your MVP guy last year too, Terry. So it's always nice to see our former picks and former selections light it up. And uh, he did a great job, got a major hit in each one of these uh, games The back-to-back games of the home run's huge, but the no strikeouts, man, that's huge. That's so huge, because Devers, one strikeout. Devers, no strikeouts. It's one strikeout between the two of them. I will take that every series.
2: Well, it was sandwiched between two guys in the lineup who weren't performing, right? And that's what I think is the most interesting piece about Alex Verdugo. He was intentionally walked to load the bases, in Monday's marathon game in the sixth inning, to bring up Christian Arroyo. Christian Arroyo is a great, a great player. He tries really hard, plays good defense at a lot of positions. He's not your six-hole hitter. Trevor Story is your six-hole hitter. He had the day off today. He's still ramping up. Totally understand that choice. I disagree with it. I understand it. Uh, we'll get into that later. But Verdugo is doing all of this with no protection in the lineup because teams are not scared to face Christian Arroyo the way they would be scared to face Trevor Story with the bases loaded. If Trevor Story's up there, I don't think that they walk Verdugo. He probably has more RBIs. The other interesting thing that Alex Verdugo is doing, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, I hope the listeners get a chance to look he's up. I think he's gone even number of hits to all fields. I think he's pulled six hits and gone, seven, gone for seven hits to center or the opposite field off the monster. That is the ideal spray chart for a lefty at Fenway. He's using the monster as his best friend, and I love it. It means great things for the Red Sox if he can continue to do this. As far as his glove goes, I'm willing to give him a pass because he made two game-saving plays in New York with his glove.
1: And that's why I mentioned the blip because he, you know, people have been saying gold glove year, gold glove year. And hopefully we continue to see it, but he did lose that ball in the sun and then kind of misplayed a a grounder. So I'm not sure what the, the error situation might have been, but Charlie, you got another one.
2: And Charlie's talking to us
0: on mute. There we go. We're good. We're good. All right. No, no, no. So, um, I'm actually still really, really impressed with uh, Garrett Whitlock. I think that he's going to be one of the biggest talking points, not just on the Red Sox, but in the AL East. And he's going to be the one pitcher that I think all of us are going to be wondering. Beginning of the year, what was it? Over, under, eight and a half starts for the three of us? Or nine and a half? Nine I can't remember half. the number. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. And we all took the under. And then I think Joe posed it, what if we said four and a half and we still all took the under? The more and more he does just like that, it's going to be really hard to not have him in that rotation. That being said, if you do put him in the rotation, who do you trust to give you Garrett Whitlock-esque innings out of that bullpen? Well,
2: nobody. That's, That's the reason that Garrett Whitlock can't be in your starting rotation. And that's the one Bingo. thing that we we really talked about. I think Garrett it's... Whitlock has been far and away the best reliever in Boston the last two years. And the numbers on Garrett Whitlock in his career. I'm going to read his his career regular season numbers here for a second, and then I'm going to read numbers that are eerily similar. It'd stop me if you've heard these before. 49 games, win loss. I'm going to not even bother. ERA of 1.87 in 82 innings pitched, he's got 92 strikeouts with a whip of 106. That is absolute pure dominance. 92 strikeouts and 82 innings pitched. And at this point in his career, he's not doing what most rookies do when they're racking up strikeouts, which is just throwing gas and coming in in mop-up rolls. He's getting the highest leverage innings against the best players in the strongest division in baseball, and he's making guys look foolish. Now, he came in in game one of the series on three days rest after Cora had said, I'm only going to pitch him on five days rest. He will not pitch today in the pregame. Comes into the game anyway because the Red Sox have a 4 nothing lead, and I'll give Cora credit on this call. He goes to the one guy in the bullpen he, know, he knows can get it done, and Whitlock was lights out, dominant. I I want to see this guy pitch three innings every three days. I actually think any time that we're leading in a ball game, unless it's back to back days, Whitlock
0: needs to get the ball. He's just that good. He pitched in the Hout game. That was uh, I think that was the second one. I don't think the first one he made an appearance because that, uh, that was a sad break. You're
2: absolutely right. It's, it's game two. I'm sorry about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. still good, though.
1: I roasted Alex Cora in the previous show for for basically getting him warmed up in a game where we were losing three to nothing. Now, at the end of that inning, it was tied three to three, and it became appropriate to to put him in the game at that point, but I thought why why waste him? And then, as Job said, he goes to Whitlock a day earlier than planned because we needed him in that uh, game two appearance, which the Red Sox only won four to nothing. so and he pitched two in a third inning, so you're putting him in there to make damn sure that that game's a win. So I absolutely um. Liked that that type of of utilization, Job, You got another one. I got a bunch, by the way. Uh, you
2: know what? Go go ahead, Terry. While I look at some of these numbers that I wanted to pull up for this one.
1: This is a kind of a just a a play that took place um, in Game Two, actually. Since uh, we're on that game. Uh, there was a runner on first with the with the twins up, and Tanner Houck gets Gio Urshela to hit a soft grounder towards Bogarts, which he had to snag with his glove and then flip it immediately out of his glove to Trevor Story at first. So Bogarts flips it out of his glove. Story barehands it in the air and then turns the double play over to Um, first base to Dahlbeck and it was just such such a cool play and I think that Trevor Story at second who's played a very good second base by the way in a short sample size is kind of forcing Xander to elevate his game now Xander has an ulterior he's gonna he's gonna basically be a free agent at the end of the year. And he wants to get rid of the stigma that his defense is declining. I think we're seeing that with Devers as well. But I think the presence of Trevor story over there is forcing Xander to say, I'm as good, if not better of a shortstop. And you see a play like that. And uh, I thought it was great. He made a couple of great
2: plays today in, in the Monday game as well, where he cut in front of Christian Arroyo really take charge of a ball in the infield and throw the guy out at first. And both times I thought to myself, Oh, Trevor Story would have had that ball. Like he would he would have absolutely gotten to that ball. But instead Xander's ranging to his left, making a good solid throw. Whereas a year ago, two years ago, he probably slide arms that ball and needs a great pick from the first baseman, whoever it is, to get an out there, he's making good, strong, accurate throws getting the ball out of his hand quickly. He's playing much better on defense, and people were starting to worry about his offense uh, before this weekend, and he did what he always does to the Minnesota Twins and absolutely lit them up.
0: Bogarts really didn't do anything. I mean, he had the sombrero in the first game, and then after that just lit up. He went 7 for 17 hitting too. So he had an RBI in three games. The last three he did his job. Um, it, it's, it's great to see him starting to, uh, pick it up because he rose his batting average over a hundred points. He started the, you know, after the first game going over four, he's at 217. by the end of today, he's back up to 333. So he's second on the team in batting average right behind Devers. So more power to him and the rest of the team for hitting too.
1: And with Bogarts, I mean, you, you said it in games two, three, and four, he, he absolutely destroyed it. Game two was probably one of his biggest moments of the series. Hit a two-run shot into the monster seats with two outs. So we're up by two. I, I, that game, I think, was scoreless through five innings. And uh, and then oh I could be wrong, actually. But still, you're up two to nothing. Xander puts up another two spot. The game's four nothing. You can breathe a little bit. And, uh, yeah, absolute, uh, good, um, series for Xander all the way around, which we needed by the way, because some other parts of the
2: lineup are not performing and not necessarily the ones that we thought would be underperforming, but I'm sure we'll get there.
1: Yeah. Uh, another good, well, I shouldn't say another one, but, uh, you know, the, The Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that is the career of Tanner Houck so far. Um, Tanner had a great start. Very shaky start against the Yankees previously in which he could have given up six or seven runs with all the traffic on the bases. Uh, Comes out uh, in game two. And I wouldn't say he was uh, razor sharp by any means. He did walk three people. But. Lasted uh, five and two thirds innings, uh, almost almost got through uh, the sixth, and uh, didn't give up a run. So uh, a lot more uh, in control. His I don't know if you want to call it a sinker or a splitter, but he was he was definitely finding ways to to get guys out. Had some uh, good infield defense behind him that that certainly helped him out. But on again, off again, and um, just hopefully this guy can establish himself as a bona fide starting pitcher. And we're going to need to see him rattle off a bunch more of these before we can definitively say what exactly he is. But... He, he's a lot of fun to watch, and, and that slider was also just absolutely nasty.
2: Well, the one thing with, with Tanner Houck, and it's been a thing with him for the last two seasons, the third time through the lineup he struggles because he doesn't have that third dominant pitch. And it's something that, that Charlie talks about a lot. Without three pitches, you can't mix it up on big league hitters for three at-bats. And he was... Very effective in this start. Granted, it's the first time a lot of these guys are seeing him. So he does pitch from a strange arm angle. He had great action on the slider, uh, which was very sharp. If he can develop that third pitch that he's working on, the the splitter, he will become, I think, a very good starting pitcher. Until that time, he really is going to be a four- to five-inning guy.
1: Another guy... Very quietly put together a great series, uh, and that was Phillips Valdez. Game one, uh, two full innings, no hits, no earned runs, one walk, struck out four. Also had an appearance in game four of the series, uh, one and one third. No hits again, no walks, one strikeout. So he was a guy who was up and down last year, had a very heroic uh, performance at Yankee Stadium against Garrett Cole to keep us in the game. I forget which starter we had that came out early, but I'd like to see this guy put it together and and be a viable starting, uh, excuse me, a viable arm out of the bullpen. He at times has been very close to losing his 40-man roster spot just because we got a lot of decent arms in the pen. I mean, eventually Josh Taylor could be back. Darwin's in apparently is going to be a starter. We'll, we'll see. But uh, some some good arms down on the farm that could come up and uh, be serviceable. So I, I'd love to see a guy like Valdez uh, continue this trend and kind of force his uh, force the hand of Bloom to keep him here on the big club. Valdez was great.
2: It's been a problem for Valdez staying in the big leagues because he had a lot of options. And so he was always the first guy down when you needed a fresh arm. And he was also willing to do the dirty work. You need a guy to mop up for four innings when you're losing. He was always willing to do it, and he would burn his arm to save the rest of the bullpen and not get any recognition for it. His ERA was was higher than it should be because of that. But Phillips Valdez is a good pitcher. He's got serious deception. He's got great movement, especially on his off-speed pitches. And again, he's another guy like Tanner Houck that comes at you from a strange angle. And anytime you can get that little bit of difference on the hitter, it can make a big difference over the course of a season, let alone a big at-bat. He's one of those guys that I want in a big situation because he very rarely gets on the mound and, and loses himself, like we saw from some other guys in the series that we're going to talk about later on this show. I did not like him coming in today. We'll, we'll talk about that as well, but I hope that he maintains his roster spot and he's not the first guy down when Josh Taylor is ready. I think being one of, I think two righties in the bullpen, uh, Sarumar and Barnes, are the other two actually. So one of three is going to help him. We have a lot of lefties out in the pen. I think Phillips Valdez might have a spot
1: and just to underscore how good this bullpen has been Phillips Valdez, Jake Diekman, Hansel Robles have not given up a run so far this season. So small sample size, but all these guys are off to a good start. Matt Strom gave up his first run uh, this series against the twins. However, That was driven in with with Brazier on the mound. So Strom gave up that leadoff hit, and uh, Brazier was kind of a mess after having a a really good uh, first appearance uh, in the series by striking out the side in game one. That was a a low-pressure appearance because we were getting killed anyway, but... Um, but if Brazier w- was a little sharper, perhaps Strom uh, wouldn't have that run charged to him, and uh, he would be the fourth guy that's uh, scoreless. I've got one more real quick. Late in Game 3, Red Sox had an, an epic rally. It was a 2-1 to game uh, in the uh, going into the eighth inning, uh, thanks to Brazier. was 2 to nothing, but the, the Twins made it a little closer. Red Sox strung together some hits, but the most notable one for me in that whole rally Trevor Story uh, with a two run single that put the Sox up six to one, effectively put the game out of reach. So, Trevor Story, despite not having a spring, despite having a kid and going on, uh, you know, baby leave for a few days. And then uh, a bad stomach bug that that kept him out for a few days has really weathered all of that and put together um, a, a pretty good start so far, hitting uh, just 250 at the moment, but uh, certainly helping uh, the team win in a lot of ways. Still looking for that first home run, but I think that's gonna um, happen and string together string together uh, probably several so. Fun to see. You guys got any more before we move on? No, I think uh, we pretty much
2: covered it. Charlie, do you have anyone else you want to mention? Yeah.
0: Just, just to talk about Story for one second, he's, uh, he's one of the few players on the Red Sox right now that could be the 2020-20 candidate. 20 homers, 20 doubles, 20 stolen bases. He can do it. I'm curious to see if he's going to be uh, running the bases as much and stealing as many bags because he's hit 20 multiple times in his career. I'm, I'm patiently waiting to see what happens, but slow and steady. Some people have been saying that they're not expecting or they were not expecting Trevor Story to do anything real damning until June. I, I gave it like the first second week of May before we really start to see him blossom. So already starting to make some major strides, as you mentioned, Terry.
1: All right. Well, let's transition over to the bad. We did lose two games, so there, there were some reasons for that. So we'll get into it. Uh, Charlie, who do you have?
0: Uh, for me, it was the game one starter. I had Nick Pavetta in there. Nick he, Pavetta just labored. He just, he really, really just could not get it done. 26 pitches in the first inning, 28 pitches in the second inning. Uh, and the scary thing was um, the fastball, 91, 90, 92. You're not scaring anybody when you're a right-handed throwing 92 miles an hour. You got lucky in the first inning because Carl's career grounded to a nice little double play. That got you out of some, some heat, but you, it just it, it wasn't there. And I think this is just a sign of, you know, we just kind of got to get the rust off. It's still early in the season, so I'm not going to count Nick Pavetta out. It was just a disappointing performance. I would have loved to have seen him uh, really come out and give five-plus innings, and we only got two. So that's going to be my, my bad right there.
2: Well, you talked about it a little bit. He's not had the start to the season that he wanted to have, that we wanted him to have, probably that the Red Sox need him to have. People were talking about Nick Pavetta as a potential candidate to be the MVP for this Red Sox team. It's not going to happen with starts like that. I'm pulling up his numbers right now, and as I look at it, he really wasn't good in his first start as well. Um, he's now 0-2 on the season. But in this start, five hits, four runs, both earned, two walks. He did strike out two. His ERA is now a nine three nine through two starts. That's just not going to cut it. I was a little bit hopeful that he would dig down in, in game one and maybe give you a, a chance at winning this game if he could go four. But he didn't even look like he had any fight left in him when Cora went went and and pulled him out of that game. Nothing on the bench. Wasn't hanging his head, which is good. But I would like to see more confidence from Nick Pavetta. He doesn't have the fastball? Go at him with the with the secondary pitches. He's got good stuff. But once he starts to lose confidence and nibble at the strike zone, that's when bad things happen. The Twins are a good team. They're a good roster. A lot of us think that they have a chance to win the American league central. We'll see how, how it works out.
1: Definitely a a terrible start uh, for Pavetta. Probably maybe next to a game he had at Yankee stadium last summer, probably uh, the worst since then. And and perhaps his worst ever in a Red Sox uniform This has been Pavetta's career. He's been up and down, Uh, looked great at times, looked terrible, just has yet to put it together. A lot of people thought he could be the number two or number three of this staff, at least until Sale and Paxton got back. Haven't seen that so far. Um, He was so bad that Miguel Sano was 0 for 19 on the season. Hadn't even had a hit yet. But it's a home run off, off of uh, Nick Pavetta to, to get his first hit of the year. Alex Cora said after the game uh, it wasn't so much a velocity thing as much as it was a mechanical thing. So his, his mechanics are way off. Cora is basically saying he's a mess. They have a lot of work to do. So he is scheduled to start against the Blue Jays. So um, we'll get into it uh, more later on. But uh, not good. Not good for Mr. Pavetta. Uh, Job. who do you got? Who's your bad? Well, this is going to
2: be an unpopular choice for a lot of Red Sox nation. Bear with me here. Alex Cora is my bad. He made a couple of decisions in this series that I thought cost you a chance at a 3-1 win. Uh, I did already mention I liked his utilization of of Garrett Whitlock in Game 2. Uh, Charlie, thank you for correcting me on which game that was, in which he realized we have to go for a win here. It's it's time to bring in the only guy on the staff who can give you a lights-out performance. Everyone else can give it to you, but not for four innings. And you have to be ready to pull the trigger and go to the next guy when, inevitably, they, they get into trouble. Uh, the guys who are stretched out aren't necessarily – Big guns, except Garrett Whitlock. So, I'm glad he went to the right guy. Helped you stay at 500. It was important to win that game. I think if you lose this series three games to one, especially if you drop the first two, it becomes very quickly, it can get very ugly, especially in that clubhouse. I I was concerned today with him not playing Trevor Story. I understand it's an 11 a.m. game. He's coming off paternity leave. He was sick for a little while. He missed spring training. We talked about that. I'm okay with him not starting Trevor Story. I love Christian Arroyo. With the bases loaded and two down, after Rafi Devers makes a great slide to get into third base and keep you in the ballgame for all intents and purposes uh, with Rich Hill given really everything he's got emotionally on it. You know, he's pitching two days after his father passed. To not send Trevor Story to the dish right there, or or even put him in the on-deck circle. Make the opposition pitch to Alex Verdugo in the at-bat previous. A guy who's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball we'd already covered it. You let... Your utility infielder take a swing, and I, I understand he put a good swing on the ball. He hit the ball about four hundred feet to dead center, fly out. Got to go to your big guns. You get it? He's sitting sixth in the order. Guys are down. Guys are hurt. They're not ready. Got to go to your big guns there, Charlie. What did you? What did you have that you
0: were thinking about along these lines? So. I understand where you're coming from. And I did think about that and I thought, you know what, it's still too early in the season. And um, I I think the only reason why is because this is someone who's going to be fighting for at bats. A couple of us have already, I think would agree on this situation. I don't think you want to say, Oh, if the moment's too big, you can't handle it. And then tell them, tell them that. And we haven't even played, you know, 10 games in the season. That's not a really good message to send. To contradict that, though, I think that Alex Kord did a very good job of managing the bullpen when he had to. Games two and three, fantastic job. Game one, I can't blame him because the game was already over after the second. We just didn't have it. We just kind of fell apart. Valdez did great to, to you know, kind of bring it close, but then Sawamura blew the door open. Between games two and three, our bullpen – Pitched seven and a third innings, allowed one run on six hits, walked two batters, and struck out 11. That was premier game management by our manager right there. Fourth so, game, I—hear me out. There are
2: a couple of things about, about this that we can debate. I had a question about today's game— we're recording this on Monday evening for anyone who's listening on Tuesday morning. We're about to play Toronto. We know there are a couple of guys who can't make that trip. Tanner Houck included. Chris Hale obviously is not with the Red Sox. We know there are others who can't make that trip. We'll find out tomorrow who that is when, when they get another guy up from AAA to replace them for the series. I wonder if maybe some of his decisions in in who was used and who wasn't has to do with who's actually going to be available over the next three days. And that might be why he made some of the decisions he made today. But he absolutely could have kept us in the game today. And I feel like he's stuck with guys too long. He wasn't as decisive as he needs to be. And there was a couple of moments where I felt like a series win was right there for the taking and he just didn't pull the trigger and wasn't aggressive enough to make those moves.
0: So, uh, just to finish from my point earlier, Cutter Crawford had a really bad game today. Removed the earned runs that he allowed. We still lose 4-3. And maybe something would have happened if he had pinched at Christian Arroyo. But I'm not going to live thinking like that 10 games into the season.
2: No, I, I understand. And it's not live or die on that. I just don't want to steal the thunder from our, our takes that are coming up in the ugly section of, of this show. Where I just think he misplayed the lineup card. I understand he doesn't have as much to work with as he will when everyone's healthy and when everyone's ready to go. But I feel like there's some changes in there he just needs to make to get everybody ready get everybody hitting because right now I feel like some of their guys, some of these guys left their bats in Fort Myers.
1: That bottom third of the order for sure. It, it would be nice to see him get aggressive with uh pinch hitting late in the game. As you underscored Job, I think he really tried Cora did to blow Game two by bringing Brazier in uh, with a runner on and with a very narrow lead, so the the bullpen management uh, continues to, in my opinion, kind of put Alex Cora in the in the overrated category <laughs> as a manager. I'm not saying he's a terrible manager, but he's not as uh, locked in as uh, some others across uh, the league. Joe Madden walked in a run with an intentional uh, pass to Corey Seager while they were losing while they were losing. They were down by a run. Seager comes up and Madden says, you know what? We're going to intentionally walk him to bring in another run. Long story short, the angels win. They win the game. And Joe Madden is just unbelievable at, at nearly 70 years old. I wish Alex Cora was as crafty. Charlie,
0: two, two things. One, I picked the angels to win the West two. If that doesn't, that is psychological warfare. That is warfare right there. You walk a 300 plus million dollar player. Intentionally, you force your pitcher to take one on the cheek, get that run in. And then what they do with the camera They pan it right over to Mike Trout, and Mike Trout's face says it all. WTF is going on here. If they did not win that game, there would have been propaganda saying that Mike Trout is linked to a bunch of other teams, but that was unbelievable. What Madden was able to do with L.A., I think it would have been something that would have been talked about for – the rest of the year if they lost by one, but they ended up coming back and doing it and doing what, you know, Joe Madden can do with the team. He's a fantastic game manager, fantastic. And it was the right move as crazy. And in, as insane as that move was, it was the right decision. I, I really
1: okay. don't ever do this, but that, that was a bill Belichick move in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what that was. And the only other time that's happened, and it might be ever, was in two thousand and eight. Joe Madden did it with the race, and Joe uh, Madden
2: did it with Ber- with Barry Bonds at the end there too. Uh, Barry Bonds got that treatment a lot at the end. Yeah, um, but that was the first time it's been done. Perhaps that was
1: the last time it was done then, but 2008 and it it was Joe Madden again uh, that did it. Uh, And that was of course with his uh, time with Tampa. So um, yeah. So, and then, and then you have Alex Cora just not aggressive enough. And um, hopefully, hopefully he steps it up. He gets a lot of credit for how he utilized the bullpen uh, during that world series run, but but we're not we're not seeing uh the same magic uh you know now 5 years after that. So well, it is early in
2: the season. I I don't want to to get all over Alex Cora for every decision. I feel like a couple of decisions he made were wrong. He could easily be more aggressive and and win us a couple of these games. But I also think Joe Madden made the wrong call
1: and got, and got, away, with it. got away with it.
2: Uh. It's it's Corey Seager, what are we doing? I mean, Corey Seager, I get it, he's a three hundred million dollar player, but he's Corey Seager. We're not talking about Mike Trout here.
1: We're he's not we're intentionally honest.
2: walking Mike Trout or Shohei Otani or Prime Manny Ramirez or Sammy Sosa. He's intentionally walking Corey Seager. If that's the point at which we're getting to, you're gonna struggle to win game. And you're gonna struggle to retain fans in that sense. I know they won the game, Charlie. I can see you going crazy. It, it panned out. It was the wrong move. Mike Trout's face tells you that he thought it was the wrong move. That being said, Joe Madden pushes the right buttons. I wish Cora would push some buttons. Just push a couple. You pinch it for Arroyo, Trevor Story, strikes out swinging. Oh, well, I'm okay with it. At least you tried. But you got to have your big guns in the game. I think we'll talk about that more when we get to the ugly
1: part. I like Charlie's psychological warfare, uh, take on it, but, um, all right. So we'll go to mine. Um, my bad player, uh, for the series, I'm, I'm going with Matt Barnes. It's only his third outing and he's had some injuries and, coming into 2022 after finishing 2021 on a bad note, uh, just completely lost it, wasn't utilized in the playoffs. And uh, he he had a rough outing in in the first game of the series and kind of put it out of reach for the Red Sox uh, and killed any reasonable attempt at a rally. The Red Sox were down by two going into that final inning and, and Barnes gave up a couple of runs, but starts the inning with a uh, on a good note by getting Luis a rise to, to fly out and he's their hottest player in Minnesota right now, Not Carlos Correa, who is 2 for 15 on the series, by the way, didn't look good at all, but uh, Barnes gets a rise to fly out, ends up walking Correa uh, in that moment. Then he walks Jorge Polanco, Then Max Kepler singles. Then he hits Gary Sanchez, of all people, with a pitch. And then Trevor Larnik uh, hit a soft grounder with the bases loaded. Uh, It was more of a swinging bunt, actually. The only play to be made was that first runner from third scores. Just just a tough outing by Barnes. And Joe kind of... Made a snide remark about the extension he signed last year, um, so not never
2: a... pay a pitcher mid season. Pitchers historically in their contract years execute pitches better, especially pitchers who are closers who are big game pitchers when they're pitching for a contract. It sucks. I wish they would concentrate more and execute pitches better when you assign them to the long term deal. But when they're pitching for their wallets, they perform a little bit better. When your boss is going to give you a big raise based on performance, you pitch better. As soon as you get the raise, you're likely to take a couple of weeks off. Well, Matt Barnes is now taking seven months off. And frankly, if we had another righty I could trust, I might give him a couple more weeks because he looks terrible.
0: He doesn't look great. I'm going to be completely aligned with you there. Um if you go back to the at bat with Carlos Correa, who's arguably their best hitter and um Arez is also really really good. Um he kept trying to be too darn perfect. Like it was all it was the fastball on the corner, like trying to put it like right on the table and he just missed it. Um a couple of times, but there were a couple of pitches even with uh Polanco that I feel like he did not get the calls. So as bad as it was, he is not even pitched remotely close to what he did pre sticky stuff because pre sticky stuff, man was striking out two guys in an inning and it wasn't even close. Like Barnes came up, you knew you were getting out of the inning unscathed. So adjustments need to be made, Joe, you're absolutely right. We, we do need to see, uh, we do need to see some changes and, I, I thought that paying him when we did was not the right decision. Joe?
2: Well, we had an episode the week after they paid him, and we talked about that. And uh, if listeners want to go back and dig up those takes, I encourage you to because I did that today. And we looked really good. We, we aged pretty well. Now, the one thing I want to bring up about Barnes is when he's going good, he is attacking hitters with his fastball and getting them out with his curveball. And right now he's doing the inverse. He's scared to throw the fastball over the plate because he's worried about it going 500 feet. So he's throwing the curveball early, and when it doesn't land for strikes and he doesn't get ahead of hitters 0-1, maybe 0-2, then all of a sudden he panics. And he goes just sticks with the curveball. He can't get it over for a strike? They're not going to swing at it if you don't have the gas. And then he walks a couple of guys. The next thing you know, he's in real trouble.
1: Wasn't, wasn't a good outing by Barnes. Um, I've got one more uh, before we move on to the ugly. This is kind of a collective one. And it's just an aspect of the first game of the series, because two of these three players went on to have a good series after game one, but when you lose game one 8-4, to four, and you look at the strikeouts in the game, Bogarts struck out three times. J.D. Martinez struck out three times. Trevor Story struck out three times. Uh, Christian Vasquez twice. So, that game was, was lost on strikeouts. So... Terry, you make a good point on
2: strikeouts, and I, I want to bring up somebody in particular that I did not think had a good series, I don't think has been good so far this season, though the numbers, I guess, over his career bear out that he'll be fine. I'm not pressing the panic button. I don't want anyone to accuse me of that. J.D. Martinez needs to be better. Um, he's hitting two forty three as of now, 37 at-bats, so that's not a great sample size, obviously. But uh, one home run, six RBIs, OPS of seven fifty-eight, That's just not going to be good enough in the middle of the lineup. And if you're not going to hit for power right now because it's April and it's cold and you don't have your timing down and everything else, you at least need to have good situational hitting. He came up today in Monday's game with guys on second and third and one out. Your entire job is to get the ball in the air. All you got to do. Couldn't do it, and uh, it cost us a run. And we didn't score a run in that inning because they walked for Dugo and we already talked about the Arroyo situation. J.D. Martinez has to be better in, in the heart of that lineup, and at least he needs to be making contact. Because when he makes contact, when he does his job instead of trying to do too much, that ball's a fly out to right field, sure, but Devers scores. Sanders so standing at third base. Then they probably don't walk Verdugo and who knows what happens.
1: Uh eight strikeouts and fifteen at bats. That's uh, pretty ugly. Doesn't doesn't get much more uglier than that. So not, not a great series for J D. Um we're gonna need him to, to step up in the Toronto series. Uh, Let's get over to the ugly before we do discuss that Toronto series. Charlie.
0: Yeah. So um, for this one, this is actually someone that I've been monitoring since the beginning of, or actually since the end of last year. So my ugly for this one's Bobby Dahlbeck. And I'm, and here's the reason you had one hit in the whole series. Yeah. You struck out only twice. You still struck out in a third of your at-bats. You have 10 strikeouts and 30 at-bats. Including the last nine games of 2021 and all 10 of this year, Bobby Dahlbeck has two extra base hits, one solo home run and one double. That's it. I'm sorry. This is the guy that we decided to keep over Michael Chavis. You guys remember him? I didn't forget. If you have, I don't know what you're doing, but... I'm getting really sick and tired of the narrative that we need to keep giving this guy time because we didn't give Michael Chavis time, and he's mowing in Pittsburgh, destroying it. One for 11 in this series. One single, one run scored. Five for 30 on the year. There's
2: not much to be said that you didn't already say about Bobby Dahlbeck. People are going to think about Bobby Dahlbeck and say, Charlie, he won us a game against the Yankees. The reason we didn't get swept. Those people would be right. Other than that, he's done nothing to win us a game. We're 10 games into the season. He's won one. He's probably got negative defensive runs. I mean, uh, offensive runs added. I don't know what his OPS plus is, which is the stat I'm referring to. I don't have it at the moment. Or weighted weighted runs created plus. I don't have those numbers in front of me. I assume it's negative. He has been picking it over at first base. So I'll give him that. He's been playing great defense at first. He's got to be better. Your K percentage can't be 35% in the big leagues unless you're going to hit 45 home runs. He's like Joey Gallo, but right-handed. You're swinging half your at-bats at Fenway Park. All you got to do, if you're pulling the ball with power, all you got to do is get it off the monster. You don't have to crush the ball. And you've got one of the biggest right fields on the planet. That if you're late on a pitch, he's constantly late on the fastball. All he's got to do is make contact, and the ball goes into right field. But he can't hit fastballs. And anything over 95 miles an hour, he just can't catch up to. So it's time to be concerned. Charlie, I know you had something else you wanted to add.
0: So Michael Chavis had six hits in his last 12 at bats in the series against Washington. Six hits, one triple, a couple RBIs. I don't care. Michael Chavis has done in one series what, Michael, what Bobby Dahlbeck has done in the last 19 games. He's raking. He's absolutely breaking Terry. Anything you want to add?
1: Yeah, it's not a good start for Dahlbeck. Uh, If you can say anything nice about him, the the strikeouts are down uh, at at the start of this year compared to last year. Um, Notably when Dahlbeck started to get hot last year was also when Chavis started to get hot and then called up and Dahlbeck kind of rose to the occasion Same thing happened again when the Red Sox traded for Kyle Schwarber. Dahlbeck got hot again and and went on to have one of the better second halves in baseball. So the pattern here is when Dahlbeck seems threatened and and feels a little bit vulnerable that he might lose his job, he steps up. But that's not going to happen with Travis Shaw, who does not have a hit um, as the first baseman. There's nobody to threaten Bobby Dahlbeck here. So when basically we're going to need, we're going to need the, the Tristan Casas propaganda to, to get going and he's going to be the first baseman. So what Bobby Dahlbeck needs to do at this point, if he wants to continue to be a major leaguer with the Boston Red Sox, he's going to have to come up with some offense for them to find another role for him because, once Casas arrives, you probably have a new face to the franchise. And, and Dahlbeck is, is blowing it right now uh, in the worst way. Well, Terry, you mentioned... I, I stole your thunder a little series. bit and I wasn't thinking. You, stole, you totally stole my I thunder. I was not thinking. I'm
2: going with Mr. Hitless. Travis Shaw is my ugly. It's not his fault that the guy can't play in the major leagues anymore. Eight seasons as a part-time major leaguer. He's a good defensive first baseman. I'll give him that. The only reason he's in the lineup is because Bobby Dalbeck can't hit. So let's try Travis Shaw. Why not? Give Give him a chance. He's over for 7 on the season. 7 at-bats. I get it. Not that many. But when you're only going to be in the lineup maybe two days a week, those 7 at-bats better be good damn at-bats or else you're not going to see more playing time. I get it. Listeners are upset. They're they're noticing that his job is in jeopardy. I get it. He's only here until Tristan Casas is ready. I don't want to rush Tristan Casas. The last thing we want is a Jaron Duran situation from last year where he comes up, struggles, he's not ready, he has to go back to AAA and takes a massive hit to his confidence. We don't want that. Casas still does have a ground ball rate that's that's too high for the big leagues. Kristen Casas will be the biggest beneficiary next season of the banning of the shift of any rookie in baseball. And he might have a shot at rookie of the year if he doesn't come up till midseason Is eligible next year. Because without the shift, he's going to do serious damage. Even with the shift, he's probably going to hit 20 home runs. 25 home runs. All I need is a little bit. Just give me a little something. Travis Shaw is not a match for this team. If you're going to strike out, you might as well have Bobby Dahlbeck in there every single day. At least he gives you a chance at some power. And in the meantime, you get an extra player who can actually do something. Go sign a right-handed outfield bat so that we don't have to have Christian Arroyo playing right field. Go use that on a pitcher. Use that roster spot on somebody in AAA who can give you two innings. Donaldson Hernandez looks pretty damn good. We don't need to carry a second first baseman who can't hit. That's it. I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) Anybody who's a Travis Shaw believer, you can now safely return to listening to the episode.
1: My ugly player for the series will be uh crap i uh i took myself off of that screen but mine is gonna be cutter crawford who uh, had a very very rough ugly hideous grotesque outing today uh Alex Cora trying to stretch him out uh, to be a multi-inning reliever because he thinks apparently he can be as good as Garrett Whitlock. (laughs) But uh, today, uh, first inning wasn't pretty. Uh, He allowed traffic on the bases, didn't let any of them score in the first inning. Starts uh, the second inning of his appearance, which I believe was the eighth inning, by uh, walking the first two batters. Then he quickly gets two outs, and then he throws a wild pitch, which uh, advanced those runners. Then he hit a batter and, um, w- with a hit-by-pitch, and four runs proceeded to score, and it was just a very ugly outing for Cutter Crawford. I think he'll still get other opportunities, in long relief, but probably more realistically, he's going to be just better with, with one inning uh, per appearance rather than multiple innings. So um, not a guy I want to see in the Toronto series in that role. Anyway, thoughts on Crawford.
2: I actually thought he was pretty good in the first inning. I know It wasn't perfect, but he got shaky really fast with his confidence. He didn't get a couple of borderline calls that I actually thought were strikes. Eck definitely thought they were strikes. It was an interesting broadcast today. And uh, then he just lost it, and the wheels fell off. In fact, at one point, uh, pitching coach comes out, talks to him for a second. Eck is talking about how when he was a rookie, he would have wanted that too. He comes back and strikes out the next hitter on four pitches. He, he was pretty good in that, in that spot, and then goes right back to struggling. It's like a mental thing with him uh, in this game. Every time that he didn't get a call, he was visibly frustrated, and then he would not challenge hitters with his 97-mile-an-hour fastball. It's just not a recipe for success.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. You you just you hit it right on the head. It's amazing. This is such a fluid show tonight. We're just like rattling right off one another. Uh, Eck actually did go. It felt like minutes, like not just one take. It felt like he went on for several minutes saying, "I gotta have that pitch." Oh, come on! Then you see the pitch track, and that comes right down the pipe. That's clearly a strike. He got jammed, and that's unfortunate. The problem is when you're when you're new. You show the frustration, and the other team knows that. They see that, and it's so obvious because he came back the very next inning. He walked um, Max Kepler. I think it was Max Kepler was the the guy who started off the inning. Yes, he did. It it was just he walked him, and then he walked Big Gary. He he threw like almost eight eight balls in a row. He threw 48 pitches,
2: I believe, in in those two innings.
0: I I didn't have the number in front of me. I
2: thought he was pretty good. In the first inning
0: but again just just it could be an outlier because he, i think the frustration got to him and it just got in his head he's got to figure out a way to let that go because if you can't do that now this is game 10 of the season there's 152 more games in the playoffs you don't get to do this you got to try to figure out a way muscle it out do something different you're not going to win every single time you're just not when you're you when you're young you're new in the league. You have to find a different way to battle back. Okay, cool. I didn't get that call. I got to do something different. It just didn't happen for him. He had just a a poor game, a really bad game. But um, I I don't anticipate that we're going to see this as a regular occurrence for Carter Crawford.
2: Yeah, and I know a lot of people were calling on him to get get sent down. I don't agree with that. I think he still has a lot of talent, a lot of room to grow. Uh, This team needs a righty who can go multiple innings. Everyone else who's a right-handed pitcher is pretty much one and done, right? Saunders is one and done. Barnes is one and done. Valdez doesn't have gas. So you can't put Valdez in in the 8th and ninth inning because he throws 89 miles an hour. As good as he is, he's going to be stuck in that 6th, 7th inning role uh, for the rest of his career. I think Cutter Crawford was really lacking in confidence. You could see him shaking off Christian Vasquez multiple times. Christian Vasquez is saying, look, throw the fastball, kid. It's 97 miles an hour. That's what got you here. And he just wouldn't do it. We saw back-to-back change-ups in 3-0 and 3-1 counts. Both were strikes. He ended up losing the hitter anyway. It's a struggle when you're a rookie and you're not trusting your first pitch. You don't work with the catcher a lot. It's going to be a struggle. He pitched uh, one and two-thirds innings, five walks. One of those was intentional. That's not going to cut it. And really, I felt like in two games in this series, Red Sox pitching gave up a run after we we got some offense to bring us back into the game, and that's where the game really ended. This team didn't have that the battle back, the, the fight factor that it's had in years past and I hope that's not a trait to come for this season's Red Sox.
1: He was a guy Cutter Crawford that I was thought was possibly in danger of losing a spot on the 40 man and but there was all this hype and all this confidence amongst Red Sox fans and I didn't understand it then and I don't understand it now. So Uh, We are running kind of way later than normal. So let's go ahead and get into the series preview, which has some interesting matchups uh, with the Blue Jays. And uh, that's a team we all agreed was going to, at the very least, win the division and perhaps win the world series. So game one, this is at Fenway. I, I've, I've got it together this episode for the preview um you say Kikuchi versus Nathan Avaldi. I think we'll all agree that um that that's a matchup that favors the Red Sox as far as starting pitching goes.
2: Well, I like Kikuchi, uh, but I love Nate Avaldi, and I think he's the guy I want going in a big start, and I think this is a big start. This is your first real measuring stick. Of the season, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think the Yankees are the team to beat. None of the three of us picked the Yankees to win the division. I don't even think the three of us picked the Yankees to make the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Nope. We all we're the, think we're the, three that the didn't... team to beat. They have the best young offense in the league. Now's the time. What do you got? Uh, game one, we get to set the tone with Nate Evaldi. I am nervous about this game only because... We have a slight COVID outbreak on the team at this point. Kevin Floecchi will not be catching, which means Aldi will be throwing to Christian Vasquez. That makes me nervous. We know how that worked out on opening day. We know how that works out in seasons past. They don't like throwing to he doesn't like throwing to Christian Vasquez, so it makes me nervous. But I still
0: think we have the
1: edge. Go ahead, Charlie.
0: I think that game one is the only game that we have a chance of winning. And and the reason for that being is uh, Joe just touched up on it. We don't know how many other players that have been allowed entry into the country may end up having to leave. We don't know the list of the total players that are not going to be going. This is at to Fenway, Toronto.
1: though. This is at Fenway.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I, I apologize. Um, no, so for, for this series, I... I I still don't feel confident because we still haven't seen Barris light it up yet. And Barris facing Pavetta. for actually, I shouldn't talk about game two yet. Game one, I'm going to say this is the one game out of the three that I feel more than confident that we have a chance of winning the other two. Not so much.
1: Well, let's jump right into the other two
0: then Terry, because I have,
1: I have the Red Sox winning game one as well. So game two (laughs) is, uh, is, is two guys coming off. There were starts in quite some time. Uh, Jose Barrios, who uh, only lasted one-third of one inning against the Texas Rangers. So um, only recorded one out, gave up four runs, got lit up, um, walked a couple. Not a good start for him. Pavetta, not a good start either. I'm just going to lean on the better offense here. Uh, and and go with the Blue Jays in game two.
0: Yeah,
2: I am worried about the Blue Jays possibly sweeping this series. If we have a shot, it's it's game one. This is going to be the first big hurdle for this Red Sox offense. You want to show up for a couple of games against the Twins, cool. Show up for one game in Detroit. That's fine. You know, opening day, nerves, all that. Don't show up at Yankee Stadium. I'll I'll give you a pass. It's the first week of the season. You need to show up if the Red Sox are not going to get embarrassed in this series. They need to score 6 runs each of these 4 games or 3 games, my my apologies, and they can't do it last minute. They need to get out to early starts, get the ball to the starters with a lead. Starters need to go five. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Whitlock in in game one. That would be four days rest. Uh, but I think he's ready to go. So if you go Nate to Whitlock, that probably locks up that game. And then the rest of your bullpen's available for games two and three. So uh, I have game two going to the Blue Jays, but it's going to be a slugfest.
0: This is going to be the first of two meetings that Pavetta and Barris have. This is the first one. And then round two is going to be in a week or so when they actually do go into Toronto. That was my my uh, slip. My apologies. Um, you, you guys, you gentlemen, already hit up on, on the two. Barris has the much better lineup hitting behind him. Um, Pavetta, I'm a little bit concerned. I think from there, I'm just going to segue right into game three where we got Hauk and Gaussman and. Uh, Kevin Gaussman's a guy that I wanted last year. Uh, I wanted him to come to Boston. It was him and Radon. We didn't get either one. I don't know if we're going to see Hauk version 1 or Hauk 2.0. Because if we see Hauk 2.0, it's going to be a chance. If we see Hauk 1.0, Blue Jays are going to take two out of three. I don't have his numbers
2: in front of me from last season against these Blue Jays. I don't know how many times they faced him. Tanner Hauk does profile to be a a good starter against a – right-handed power lineup in the Toronto Blue Jays. But once Tanner Houck comes out of that game after seeing Vlad Guerrero Jr. twice, there's no way they let him see Vlad Guerrero Jr. three times. I don't care if he's throwing a perfect game. Who comes in in relief in in game two? All of our trusted pitchers at this point are lefties. And unless Houck can give you six innings, You're going to end up with lefty-righty matchups on the power side of that lineup, which is Guerrero, Teoscar, Hernandez. That just makes me nervous. I don't like it. I think this one goes to the Jays. Take one out of three.
1: Kevin Gosman will be pitching against Tanner Houck in the finale in Game 3 against the Blue Jays and Gosman's pitch okay he hasn't been tagged for more than 3 runs but he has given up a lot of hits uh 6 hits in his uh excuse me 8 hits in his first outing against Texas and then uh 6 hits against the Yankees so if Gosman is sharp i just find it hard to believe the Red Sox will will keep it together for nine innings uh, with their own pitching. And I'm going to give that one to Toronto as well. So I I have the blue Jays winning the series two to one. It's going
2: to be a great series. It is, like I said, measuring stick one for this Red Sox team. If you can go and take two out of three from these blue Jays, I'm going to feel a lot more confident. That being said, Charlie already mentioned it. We have a series in Toronto next week with half the team potentially uh, unable to make the trip. We don't yet have a final total. That's going to be our first glimpse of the home field advantage that this new revamped Toronto Blue Jays have. And it's going to be scary. This is, this is going to be a great seven-game stretch here. Uh, The next 10 days of baseball are going to be fantastic before they finish out the series down near me at Camden Yards. I'm excited to watch as many of these games as we can. And tomorrow night, or tonight, for those of you listening on Tuesday, is a 7 o'clock start. Thank God.
1: It absolutely is. So we're finally going to get some consistent primetime baseball. We've only had two primetime games Uh, so far, since that delayed opening day, so us middle class folks who uh, work day jobs can see some primetime games, so looking forward to it, we will wrap on that note Um, longer episode than normal, but it was a four game set so, we will see everybody tomorrow with Totally Legit or Calling the Cops, fun episode if you uh, haven't um, heard that format yet and then we'll be back on Thursday night to record what did happen against the Blue Jays. Take care.